I don't want to see Fassbender's dick again. And now, from the Bone Vault, with Gil, Levi, and Justin. Welcome to From the Bone Vault, coming to you live from below Midnight Lair. I'm Gil. And I'm Levi. And I'm Justin. And tonight, we are starting our action-packed, double whammy, double-timed, double-feature of Vincent Price. Because it's Halloween and we figured we watched two Vincent Price movies. <laughs> so the first one up that we uh, decided to watch was a suggestion by me, uh, The Abominable Dr. Fives. And I am very, very anxious to talk to you guys about this movie. So first thing I'll ask, Levi, hit me with some facts. <clears throat> All right. Well, uh, The Abominable Dr. Fives was made in 1971. And it was directed by Robert Foost. I didn't look how to pronounce his name, but he didn't have a whole lot of other uh, film experience before this. And he actually rewrote a lot of the script um, after he got it. And I believe the only scene that was originally in the script as scripted was the scene with the rabbi. Everything else was ostensibly changed by the director. Huh. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Um, And I wanted to jump into the cast, and I wanted to do it a little different than we do, because the movie divided up the cast a little bit. Did you guys notice this? No, maybe I didn't catch that. Yeah, the credits divided them up into two groups, but I don't remember what the groups are. No, there were multiple groups. There were multiple? Okay. I, I won't read all of the names, but I will read all the groups. The first group was the protagonists, and that's Dr. Fibes, played by Vincent Price, and Dr. Vesalius, played by Joseph Cotton. And a side note, I thought it was interesting that they're both called protagonists. We might could talk about that later. But the second group is The Girl, which was Volnavia, played by Virginia North. And the next list was The Victims, and these were the various doctors and the nurse and Vesalius's son, Dr. Longstreet, was played by Terry Thomas. Nurse Allen was played by Susan Travers. And Dr. Hedgepath was played by David Hutchison. And then the next category, we had The Law. And Trout was played by Peter Jeffrey. He was sort of the main cop guy. And then we had Crow, played by Derek Godfrey. And the sergeant, played by James Grout, who was an interesting character. Um, and then last, we had interested parties, which include the rabbi, played by Hugh Griffith, the goldsmith, played by Aubrey Woods, which was one of my favorite characters, and the chauffeur, played by Charles Farrell, the graveyard attendant, that's important for From the Bone Vault, was played by John Franklin, and the butler was played by Walter Horsbrook, or some British pronunciation. Those are all the basic facts that I have. I thought it was funny. I found one tagline for the film, which was Dr. Fibes has two sides and they're both evil. (laughs) That's that's a pretty awful tagline. Yeah. Wow. I wanted to ask either of you, had you seen the actor that plays Vesalius before, uh, Joseph Cotton? I I honestly thought that it was one of those things where it was like, oh, I saw some old ass Doctor Who episode or some shit. And he was... um, (laughs) You know, well, actually, that. he's a he's an American actor and he 
was actually in the troop that uh, Orson Welles developed. And he, he met Orson Welles, I think, when they were in acting school or something, when they were very young. And he was part of Orson Welles' little group. So he's in oh. uh, Citizen Kane and some other oh, films okay. with him, like The Third Man. And I immediately recognized him. Citizen Kane, the movie that I almost fell asleep during during film class that one time. So yeah, <laughs> that, that movie. Well, I mean, I, I, when I saw his face, I mean, he looked very familiar. when I Because it had been... Oh my God! I want to say the last time I caught this movie, and I only remembered it in drips and drabs, was uh, as I think it was shown on Morgus the Magnificent when I was a kid. I mean, I was young <laughs> when I watched this. It's appropriate for that. Oh man! I mean, this movie is basically like an old, not as good version of Seven. Like it basically is the same <laughs> idea. With it's a little like Phantom seven, of the Opera thrown in. It, well, it's like Seven and um, Boondock Saints had a baby because Boondock Saints it works in that same divided way where you have almost half the cast never interacts with the other half of the cast because there's the police that are investigating murders and the murders happen, you know, via like proxy or mm-hmm. through, through a set of characters. And then th- those characters go back to a hideout or another place. The police come along and find the victim and they discuss it. And then it, go, it, it just follows that same pattern. And uh, that was very much what Boondock Saints was doing. And I guess it works sometimes. Um, I, I, uh, I remember the, when I first started watching this, I was shocked by how little dialogue there was at the start of it, though. Like, right. it really, really takes that- a while that entrance scene, like the, the opening credits and then the credits go and you're like, okay, okay. Okay. <laughs> right. All right. And nope, he ain't done. And, uh, okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. And he, Oh, it's still playing and he's dancing. Okay. And, right. Okay. It played is for a done? long time. Is he, is, is he dead? Nope. He's not done. Okay. All right. And, oh, now he's done. Okay, cool. What's the, what is this movie about? <laughs> Apparently, I, organists playing it was the organ. So, I did not. I mean, it, it took. It, I get as you get later into the film, they explain his um, uh, obsession with music and acoustics and his mm-hmm. talent and things like that. But you can't come in like that film and not give us anything. And he's just in this opulent palace. What was that? That bothered me a lot was that he lived in like what looked like a place that was requiring electricity and, you know, running water and things. And it was just like they never showed it being I, I thought it was a church or something he was hiding in, but they never yeah. showed it being those things. It just was a but place they that he seemed to be renting. No, he had given all of his estate to Volnavia. Oh, that young girl was with him? Yeah, she she owned everything of his. Right, but even if even if she he gave her everything, why did she? Maybe because the simple answer is she crazy. But why was that a was that a cathedral inside of the house? Was it a um, like a ballroom or something that was converted? I I could not yeah. wrap my head around what the hell that room was for. You're asking a lot of specific questions for a film that has fruit bats eating a man alive and grasshoppers <laughs> eating a woman with green jello all over her face. I think those were locusts, to the bone. but even then, that's that wasn't th- th- well, those yeah, were locusts, so. and it was it was that they were putting like the plants uh, like syrup or whatever yeah, they, on her. He had made a but, smoothie that he poured in the back of his throat. That he poured in the back of his throat, by the way. The that's thing I want to so see weird. more is the whole like the discussion between that girl and the contractor she hired to build that place about why they were building like this 
piano on an elevator that went into a secret lair below her home and how that made sense to anybody. Well, I don't think she's going to have any kind any uh, 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 talks with anybody because she's mute. Is she mute or does she just yeah. not talk? No, she's mute. That's one of the things. Is like I think that was one of his draws to her is that she can't talk. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, I, I didn't. I, I honestly think she just wasn't that. talking. <laughs> I didn't catch that either. That's what I it's, assumed. She did scream I, at the end. Yeah, but a mute she can got scream. blasted with the acid. Oh, true. maybe she could. Maybe I'm but wrong. no, but a mute can scream. Ah, true, true. Vocal noise as opposed to the ability. Because to speak, she could yeah. be like a psychological mute, which would mean that she would okay. be. So quick, quick rundown. We did jump ahead a little bit here. Quick rundown is is Doctor Fibes, Vincent Price's character, goes on a kill rampage after his uh, X number of, of days, years, whatever, from his wife being killed uh, inadvertently by uh, this doctor who could not save her on the operating table. And Fibes blames these uh, nine people that he intends to kill. And the movie is the investigation and follow up to him killing all of these people. Uh, and the the cops that are part of the investigation, um, <laughs> the slowest, nine killed you, nine shall die. <laughs> <laughs> like when that. they said when they said death of the firstborn, and that kid had had a son, and they were like, "Well, we left the son at home alone." I was like, "Number one, that kid it. was that kid was thirteen. Number one, like why would he even be home alone? Bring him with you, because if the guy is murdering people right and left, and you've moved his target." What's to stop him from taking that person anyway? It just it, it was like this is goofy, and I remember that when when the movie first started because there was no dialogue, my immediate thought when the music started playing and lasted way too long was I was like this better not be a musical because I <laughs> I will go into this podcast without having watched this entire movie. It doesn't I'm gonna make you watch a musical at one point. <laughs> I mean, it depends on the musical, but it's just I'm I, as a rule I don't tend to like them because I feel like for all the realism we go through to make movies look real and feel real and be immersive musicals are the exact opposite of that like if one thing can pull you out of a situation it's someone starting to sing for no reason well I mean speaking of make doesn't make sense I mean this let's just get this out of the way this film is really weird in how it sets things up and really weird on its pacing just about everything about this film is not just that it's a horror movie and an odd film it's like just the thought processes behind why they did certain things or how they expected X to fly or Y to fly make no sense, which made me think that this should have been billed as a comedy. Well, some of the comedy is on point. Um, there's a little bit of comedy here and there, and like at first I wasn't sure what they meaning for this to be funny, and then I was like, oh no, they mean for this to be funny. This is obviously right. intentional. Um, one of the things that I did, I did think was like, <laughs> I was like, you know, maybe this is where the phrase "cranking" it comes from, because that guy's like <laughs> trying to crank too. that real projector and like watch that like that sort of porn. It was like soft <laughs> she catches him cranking it. She yeah, I was like, yeah, she caught this dude cranking it. Like he's in there and you know, he cranks it faster, and, like yeah. literally cranking it. And, oh, God. Um, you know, it, it was that was a that was a kind of funny scene. There, there was a lot of mm-hmm. scenes that were kind of funny, like between the cops mostly. Where they yes. were having discussion and stuff, and some of the dialogue was a little bit witty. I think that part of the problem is that the funniness is not evenly distributed to the movie in a way no. where it seems like a tonal choice. Because whenever you get to Fives and like his whole thing, it's just like played straight, and it it almost feels kind of off. It just feels like they were trying to make two separate movies almost. Like yeah. uh, one of them is an episode of Law and Order that goes long, and the other one's a horror movie. <laughs> 
Well, one of them is no, one of them's an episode of Police Squad gone wrong. Police, uh, next Police to squad. next to a seventies horror flick. Since you bring that up, um, one of my favorite scenes was the scene where the guy got killed with the unicorn head. Oh my and god! <laughs> he, the cops just stare at it. They don't do anything. Oh, and then the, the, they look it, behind it. it. To the, well, no, it cuts to the back, and then they they look back there, and then they they go back around, and then you start seeing the horn turn, and they he goes, oh, I think it's a left-handed thread. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then that, that you see was the guy really sitting there reading the newspaper, or whatever, and the feet are going up and down, like they're turning this guy around to get this unicorn horn out of that wall, <laughs> and he's like, and oh, the, won't you keep it down? And like, could you be keep it down? Yeah. But 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 that death is juxtaposed by the guy that they drained all the blood out of. That yeah. was really dark. That was a cool scene. Really, and then Volnavia. Really dark. And then Volnavia, um, who was one of my favorite parts of the film was her. She stands outside with a violin and plays Close Your Eyes on a violin. I was so that was creepy. Cool. That was and I gotta so say, creepy. I know that uh, it seems like you guys... Um, might not have let's say let pass that um the the film was so uh, i guess ornate and baroque i guess i, I like kind it. of liked that well, no, um, no, no, no. Don't, okay don't get okay. it twisted i really did like it it's just i couldn't wrap I my head around when, when you when, <laughs> when you when you look at that that first opulent scene it's very pretty exceptionally pretty but like mm-hmm. i could not wrap my head around okay what was this for is this a right. stage if it's a stage cool 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 i'm in but like Give me something. <laughs> well, you know, one thing I thought of when I first saw that, and it's possible that that was an inspiration for what I'm going to talk about. But um, when I saw the band, um, I wrote the name of the band, uh, Dr. Fipes Clockwork Wizards. Um, yeah. I immediately thought that those guys were going to come to life. And I was trying, I was racking my brain and I didn't oh, remember it until like five minutes ago. Um, that was actually in Buffy. There were characters much like that, and I think it was the musical episode, actually. There was bad guys that looked like big clockwork guys. There are, like, almost mannequin-type dudes. Yeah. And they're... They're not, like necessarily, and... they're not necessarily clockwork or even like anything, but it looks like that the demon who controlled the musical stuff had henchmen that he dressed up like that. Like either he uh. controlled people or paid people or they were just demons that he put a helmet on. But it right. is never really clear. But regardless, the, the, the clockwork wizards reminded me a lot of that. And I had been racking my brain for days trying to figure out where I had seen that before. But... um. Because of that, I kept thinking that the band was going to come to life or it was going to actually be like the skeletons of the people that he killed. Oh, that would have been amazing. <laughs> yeah. We should rewrite this film. That would be fun. Like, one, one of, the, one of the, the, the things is that like a lot of these movies like this, because they're so early in their time, um, they miss out on making choices that, you know, a writer today, it'd be almost cliche if you did X or Y, but these movies mm-hmm. are so much older than, than that that mm-hmm. they don't actually have access to the cliche because they weren't really cliches yet. Well, and so, they, they set the mold for it. Well, they did, but not all the cliches. So, like, they're, they miss some cliches. Like, you know, this movie wouldn't do anything that happened in The Matrix because that happened, you know, 20, 30 years later. And so that's kind of why, like, you go, well, why didn't they do this? Well, it's because by the time that was commonplace, this movie was long, uh, you know, uh, past made. Mean. I see what you mean. When you're, when you're pulling on satire, there's only, if the things aren't there to make satirical, then it's kind of yeah. hard to pull those out. I, I get what you mean. But I, I guess that's what got me on this film is, is, is that I kind of get what they were trying to do but i like like you say if it's two separate films 
I think both films could stand on their own two feet, but when you put them together, it's really just odd, and it, and it yeah, it disrupted my my ability to to sit through it and really like like root for somebody because like I really yeah. liked Fives, I really enjoyed the villain, and I I I thoroughly enjoyed Whoa. the setup and like his his you know oh the ten plagues of Egypt and kind of how I'm thinking I'm gonna do it and all of his little tricks and I'm like oh this is neat. But then well, the let's, cops show up, and I'm like, eh. Let's talk about that a little bit, though. Uh, as I said earlier, the the first credits in the film, when the credits start to roll, it says the protagonists, plural. And it lists Dr. Fibes and Dr. Vesalius. Right. And I think there's a way for you to watch this film, or perhaps if there was a different portion of Vesalius scenes versus Fibes scenes, that the balance could be... Uh, tilted in either direction, if that makes sense, making right. either one of them the protagonist, but kind of the way that the story is set up and the the way that they make Fibes fairly uh, sympathetic, which one thing they actually did, one of the original things in the script was um, he was supposed to be abusive towards Volnavia, and he was going to stab her to death and then escaped his house, which he had caught on fire, in a hot air balloon with his wife's body. Um, oh, Wow. Yeah, but they made the the choice to make him gentler to her so that he, you know, he would be a more sympathetic character. And I well, think that was a good decision because there is this line where obviously he's I, I feel like most people would say he's in the wrong for killing these people, but people you can kind of see his motivation and um to draw on some other pop culture thing that came after this which might have been an inspiration um the depiction of mr freeze in the animated batman series uh is very similar because everything he does is because of his wife who he has kept villain yeah yeah and he's i agree he's the most sympathetic batman villain you really can't have protagonists like strictly speaking, like you're supposed to only have one. You can try to do it, but really, like it muddles the movie. But that, that's what I'm saying, though. Is is I think that gives a window into what they were thinking when they made this movie. Is that they made the choice to put the credits that way, and I think you can read this movie as since you are sympathetic to Fives a little bit and Vesalius. I mean, most people would probably see him as a victim, a complete victim. Um, yeah, that you yeah, can kind it's... of run them both together as a protagonist from the different you're... points of view. Exactly. I mean, I, I think you 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 sympathize with Fives as a ghost because I think kind of some of the how blundery the rest of the the people are. How you know the the you know, Scott, uh, uh, I guess it's Scotland Yard um, is handling things. Um, but I don't know that I like when you look at at how Vesalius is at the very end of the film. Even when they bring him in, like I, when he came in, when the detective came in, and you get the first scene of Vesalius, he's sitting there playing with trains. It's like, is this guy Gomez? True. What's going on? Yeah. Well, <laughs> the, the other thing is that, like, for a protagonist, it has to be there a good amount of the time for the movie, because like the the whole point of the protagonist is that their desires are what drive the film, and right. so it really can only be fives. Like his desire drives the action of the film, and but he's like, also the villain. Well, a villain can be a protagonist, mm-hmm. though. All, all like a protagonist isn't necessarily a good guy. It just means that they're the person true, who drives true. the action of the film. An antagonist is not necessarily a bad guy. They're just a person that, you know, is opposed to the good guy. Set at odds. Set at they, odds with with our protagonist. Yeah. 
there's some book or movie where it's a it's a it's a mom and a daughter. The daughter is the the protagonist, and the mom is the antagonist. Not because the mom is evil, but because the mom is trying to stop the daughter from doing the action and putting her in danger. And right. it's the same with with Batman, um, Dark Knight. The the Joker is not the antagonist. It's Harvey Dent because he's the person who's stopping Bruce Wayne from fulfilling his goal of not being Batman anymore. And so, right. like, Fives' goal is to kill these people. And the people who are actually the antagonists feel more like the police because they're trying to stop him. And the police are bumbling at it, which makes it not as effective. Because, like, what this... I, what, I don't identify with that main detective at all well, in this what film, I was gonna, you know? What I was going to say is that what this movie should have been was it should have been one of those very, like, almost Sherlock Holmesian style detectives versus a very ahead of their sort of game fives where there's like a cat and mouse game going on with the detectives versus him killing these doctors off. Like that would have worked much better. It, it weakens it because the comedy is kind of in those other segments. Well, I, I kind of felt the opposite. I felt like the cop was pretty competent, the, the main cop trout, but especially when you see him interact with his sergeant and the way his sergeant is, it's all bureaucratic BS and his sergeant wants them to basically get their numbers up and stuff. Um, and he seems to step in the way of trout more than help him out. And, um, I kind of felt the opposite. I felt like trout was doing everything he could. And I, I mean, I liked the, the humor in the film. I thought the amount that was sprinkled in, I, I laughed at it and I, I kind of liked the tonal shifts that they had. And, one place in particular where it was pretty sharp was when uh, they they stopped the guy on the side of the road and pumped his um, car full of that uh, oh freezing god the gas. super freezing machine yeah. yeah yeah that was the craziest thing they <laughs> made a joke ridiculous. about it and then the cop goes up and is like see and he turns it back on <laughs> and I'm like I'm not sure that you're supposed to do that you know I don't know what procedures were back in the 70s uh, actually this takes place in what the 20s or something. Yeah, they, 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 uh, it's like the 30s because those cars are pretty 30s-ish. Oh, okay. Which also confused me at first because they were... Me too. There's a lot of technological weirdness in this film that had me... Yeah. I could not put my finger on when it's supposed to take like, place. Like it what? feels like the Batman the Animated Series time where like there's computers <laughs> but cars right. are also like white wall tires and stuff. Um, also, I I, uh, I thought it was pretty funny when he first walked out. I thought about the Chuck E. Cheese band having like a conductor because that's yes. what those guys look like. <laughs> yes. Like he's up there on stage and like he's like conducting this Chuck E. Cheese band of like oh my Muppets God. or something. I, I thought the exact same thing. I thought of Five Nights at Freddy's. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Never played that, but it, it was just like I was like, oh, it's like a Chuck E. Cheese band going on up here. <laughs> so so let's run through the kills real quick. He he lets the bats in, and I think that's supposed to be uh, from from the from the play that's supposed to be gnats or bats mm-hmm. you know it's 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 that first one you it was got made to de- look better on film yeah yeah it was using yeah, fruit anyway. bats to yeah. kill a man it, it just it, it <laughs> the cop's reaction is what killed me on that one it's just when they come in and they're like picking him up or put that in a bag it's like what the hell yeah right um you have death but i did by, by f- no go ahead go ahead Oh, I just wanted to say real, real fast. I thought it was very effective the way they use the birdcage and the draping over it because I was going, what's in the cage yes. the whole time? Yes. Like, what are they yes. going to do to this guy? And yeah, it was kind of disappointing when they had 
flying foxes in there, but it was still really cool. <laughs> but it, oh. I think I think that's what this film did right. There was a lot of scenes of actual legit tension. Um, uh, you go from right. that one to the mechanical frog when the guy's got the thing oh, on. You think, yes, that I that's probably that the one. best death in the movie is because it's like yeah. the creepiest one. The bath was stupid because I was like, just swat those baths away, dude. Baths don't want you hitting them. <laughs> shit. Or put your like put your sheets over your head. I was like, yeah, freezing and and looking at them menacingly is not going to protect you. Yeah, I mean, maybe the guy had a natural fear of them and it kind of paralyzed him. Maybe he was infirm. They didn't explain, but that shouldn't have killed him. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these things shouldn't have killed anybody. Like, the woman gets her face eaten by locusts. I was like, you didn't try to move or, like, they right. found her in the position she was in. They had put that her across the room. That stuff fell on her face well, and she I, didn't move. I feel like that stuff was a paralytic as well because, I, you know, he goes through this whole chemical process of it, taking those sprouts and, and boiling them down and, and putting this alchemical substance on them. It felt like to me that he was actually pouring. It was mm-hmm. probably poppy. But it looked like at first when they had the wheelbarrow, I was like, oh, is this dude bringing a bunch of weed in? Like, is he going to just like, <laughs> no, gonna, like hot like, box his house and get the cops high? <laughs> I'll get everyone. Chase me now, Wait, dudes. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'll get everyone in London high. <laughs> everyone will be lit. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. <laughs> but we go from the, the frog, which, which, again, that was an excellent, excellent kill, to mm-hmm. uh, the, ca- <laughs> the flying unicorn. Which was supposed Dude. to be, I think, um, diseased death animal, by ca- diseased animal, or de- or, or uh, c- death by uh, well, what did they say? Not cattle, but livestock, diseased mm-hmm. livestock. Yeah. Um, and then you've got the 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 blood. Uh, that's pretty straightforward. That's that's that direct line. And that again, was a cool that one. one. Was exceptionally creepy, especially when you see the guy's face pale out and you see him just weaken and slump in the chair. That was yeah, and it. And I loved how how Volnavia walks in the room and he's kind of taken aback and he's like, oh, what's happening here? Did my movies come to life or something? And then she straps him to the chair and Dr. Fipes walks in and he's like, what the hell is going on here? Right. And that was a cool scene. It reminded me of some of these deaths kind of reminded me of like saw and how insane they were especially that last one where he has to get the key out of his his son's chest oh yeah but uh, i'm derailing I, I, it you can go through all the the deaths no no i think a lot <laughs> of this stuff was was very soft uh, you know what led to saw and i think some right. of this led to uh seven and a lot mm-hmm. of that same stuff of of different ways someone can take somebody out in a film but then you get to one of the weirder ones the death by rats i mean i get it he was distracted he crashed mm-hmm. but like that was where yeah. they put the rats? <laughs> in the plane um, well, or whatever. Originally, originally they had the scene in a boat, but um, I, I forgot if it was a producer or the director felt that he could escape the boat too easily, so they, they moved it to a plane. Well, but I could I'm see shocked rapid... they thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I definitely could see... A, a, a literal like like a boat full of mm-hmm. uh, rats just swarming somebody and tearing trapping someone in a room. Yes, yeah. yes, I could. That mm-hmm. would scare the hell out of me. Like make them crazy somehow. I don't know biology, but I'm sure there's something you could do to make them rabbit. The best about that would be like, for like they should weeks. just have it where the uh, the boat just sinks for some reason because the rats are on it. Like they just chew through the boat, destroy it. Oh right. wow! Coats he coats the uh, all the wiring and everything with uh, like rat attracting i got nothing it's like a, it's like a squirrel girl situation like they just cover all the electronics <laughs> up and just fuck everything up oh you did um, forget one death um it was off screen but it was the boils uh boils the man was stung to death by bees it's supposed to 
uh, be a reference to Boyle. Oh, yeah. The Plague yeah, of Boyles. Yeah, yeah. I did forget that. Well, that's because it wasn't shown in the movie. It went right off my radar. Um, <laughs> we had the freezing machine, which was really cool. Um, I love the guy's face when uh, after they, they stop, they you know he comes back. They see, like, who are you? And he's like, mm-hmm, I'm nobody. I'm just going to hook this thing up. It's like, uh, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, nothing. And then, like, next scene, it's like he's just frozen. It's like, what did that guy do the whole time? He didn't, pull, right. a gun. He didn't pull a gun on him. He didn't and do he anything. Was, he just. You're, you're talking about the guy that got frozen to death, right? Yeah. yeah. He 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 didn't react when someone opened the door to his damn car. Like, Did you notice that he was like, like staring at that little statue thing? Or I can't remember absolutely. the scene exactly, but he was staring in one direction, and somebody next to him opens the car door. He didn't. It took him like a few seconds to look over. I don't know. Maybe he's docile fucking victims is what's happening. Yeah, I know exactly. What it is. It's a bunch of doctors. They're all on laudanum. That's what it is. <laughs> Got it. Could be. Got could it. Be. Uh, we go from the freezing machine, which, which again, that was it was a really cool effect. I gotta say, the way that they did it, it really was well. I liked how it looked. Um, you go to the locust where she got her face eaten. That one was creepy. <laughs> um, I, and like I said, I, that had to have been a paralytic. Had to have. There's no other way I could see that that working if it wasn't. And um, why did he have the cutout of the body? Like, was he just trying to see where her bed would be? Like, Yeah, he was trying to I place think... out where her body would be laying in the bed and, you know, like where to pour the stuff at or whatever. So it would hit her face first, I guess. Yeah. Uh, gotcha. But again, I mean, if this is supposed to be in like a, what, 1930s? Like, where did this plastic printing, this magical plastic <laughs> printing machine with, a, with an outline come, you know? But then again, he's, he's this genius. Maybe he invented mm-hmm. it. You come to the firstborn son. Uh, he's got to cut the the key out of his out of his kid's chest. I get that one. Um, Which why the hell didn't the detective and the man with a son not figure this clue I out don't sooner? No, that's what idiots. I was saying earlier. No. Like it just didn't yeah, make yeah. sense. They knew it's like firstborn. <gasps> he's got a kid. Run, 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 run. They, they, they immediately go to his brother. Is the sad one? Like they're like, oh, right, my brother's yeah. blah blah. Well, I'm my like, brother was brother. the first. I'm like, you idiot! What the heck are you even <laughs> talking about? Like how are he just doesn't care about his son. <laughs> well, do you guys know who? I mean, do, do, you guys did get who the last person is, right? The last death, Doctor Fipes. Doctor Fipes himself going into yeah. the coffin. Yeah, and darkness. I, what I what I don't get is how when they say, "I guess he got away," and they see the freaking placard right there with mm-hmm. the sun and the eclipse and all on it, and it's like, guys, yeah, it's it's right, smackhead. <laughs> Yeah, and and as I was saying earlier, I felt the cop was pretty competent, but I, I feel like there were times where the story required him to be just an idiot, and that was one of a couple, for sure. Because And they just give up. They're just like, well, I, I don't know where he went, so let's, uh, let's head home. Let's get some tea. They definitely go into this movie with, it's one of those things where it's like when you read some, you know, shitty story or fan fiction where the person had an idea what they wanted to do and they were going to mm-hmm. do that thing whether you wanted them to or not god damn it and then they're like they go into it and they they write themselves into a not a corner but they write themselves into a situation where there's a better way out of this that makes more narrative sense and works better but they don't want to do that because then they'd have to change something else because if they had to you know it, like if they had to find the body, then they would have found him, and maybe he wouldn't be dead yet, or whatever. Because the right, idea right. is that he's sure. going to die, and like, plot reasons. Yeah, and like they really should have figured out some way to get Fives out of that house and with the wife somewhere that they could be buried or hidden, 
and mm-hmm. it didn't make sense for the police to like be right on top of the bodies and just not find them. Like I, I, I kind of like the original idea of him setting the house on fire, and I thought that yeah. as he was doing that little trial with Doctor Vesalius, I was like, just set the house on fire because Volnavia starts hacking everything with an axe. Which, yeah, by the that way, was weird too. Like <laughs> she just like, I got this. Fuck. <laughs> and that set up the fuck. gag. Did you notice the cops in the in the tapestry? <laughs> yeah, they poked. Their <laughs> they damn stuck heads their heads. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. stuck their heads through the holes like, and acted like. They were in the tapestry. <laughs> like a carnival thing? <laughs> it's like friggin' Abbott and Costello stuff. Uh, I was, was going to say that um, before they really got to the point where they were going to the house and stuff, I thought that there was some kind of ritual involved. Like, mm. because they were doing these deaths and they were biblical and there was a number of them. And they were very specific. And they said darkness was the last one. And I was like, is this guy going to cause like the moon, the sun to go out and like bring his wife back to life or something oh, like shit. that? That and would like, have been really neat if exactly. they were that it, supernatural it, it, element. Guys, we have to write Dr. Fibes. We, we have to write a script and call it Dr. Fibes. We really don't. And get it made. We do. Oh, the remake? The we remake have the power. Yeah. Dr. Fibes 2017? No, we can have Michael Fassbender play him. Oh, my God. You know what? This, like, the sad thing is that, that sounds pretty badass. Like, if you had, like, a Michael Fassbender, like, Dr. Fibes, and then you have, like... Uh, you get someone to be the wife who has like real acting chops, and this is gonna sound mm-hmm. stupid, but it, it would actually probably work. You get the you get the assistant lady to be Dakota Fanning, and then for the two cops you pick Dakota like, Fanning. You say that, but Dakota Fanning can act I'm her ass in. off. I'm actually in. And for the two cops, you get um, McConaughey and shit. There was oh, I think uh, Levi is Levi's literally penning this as we speak. No, McConaughey <laughs> McConaughey for one of the cops would be great, and I would say McConaughey for the lead cop. And for like a younger, kind of dopier cop, you get, um, you know, someone who's not Chris a comedy Pratt. actor. Yeah, that that's too far comedy. I think. I think you want to go more, <laughs> more like middle of the road, like a person who can what's, do comedy. But guy, you should no, just no, have no, no, a no. crossover. What's the guy from Fantastic Beast. What's that guy? What was that guy's name? Eddie Redmayne. Redmayne. Redmayne's Redmayne has some weird mannerisms that I don't think work in like a lot of movies. Like what's, I think he'd be. I think he could play the lead. I think he could do the lead detective. What's funny about Eddie Redmayne have... is that Eddie Redmayne doesn't sell tickets very well because what happens is he's very not effeminate, but he's not typical masculine, and it's right. harder to sell that to audiences. And it, it actually, I like it. I like seeing characters that are not just like but big remember, hulking you, masculine you dudes. You've got you've got uh, your fives as Fassbender. There's your sexy right there. Even yeah, he like, does take his face I, I, off I, later I, in the film. I like the idea of like <laughs> that opening scene coming out and like Fassbender just comes out in like some black slacks. He's just like shirtless, and you know only his face is fucked up. Well, no, because like I don't want to see Fassbender's dick playing. I already playing saw it once on accident. Um, oh, you know what? Even be funnier. And see, now you said naked made me think of this. What if it was um, the foe? What if he was fives? That's pretty good. You can leave his face normally, then it would be fine. Stop it. <laughs> the foe terrifies me. I think if you want Matthew McConaughey to be a part of it, you, you could do like a mashup of True Detective and just take him and Woody Harrelson's characters and put them up against the and see what happens. And, and, and what I like about the idea of the foe, and like, that's the thing is that like I feel like Fives had some moments that could have been more emotive. Like there's nothing really terrifying about Price. But they're like just seeing Defoe well, doing things is terrifying, and he can also, he also play, couldn't move his face. 
I mean, that yeah, was well, part that's of the his thing. restriction. That, that was, exactly, exactly. That was part of the fiction of the character is that he was Which, horribly burned, and that was all prosthetics. Yeah. Which, by the way, um, during some of those scenes, they put a substance called collodium on his face so that his face literally didn't move. And that's why you see like his his throat, his voice box moving, yeah. but his face didn't move. Well, and it's, wow. used, it's used in like uh, photographic so they, processes, I think. They they botoxed him. It probably gave know. him cancer. Pretty, yeah, oh, pretty no. much. Probably he passed away from lung cancer. I think. They, they, probably from that shit they put on his face, oh, make his mouth like that dude. Didn't the dude that originally played the Tin Man uh, die? I don't <laughs> like, know. Let's not like, that. From skin <laughs> Yeah, it was like the guy from Beverly Hillbillies. Anyway, let's not get into it. That's that's far afield of what we're talking about. I, I mean, like from the bone balls. <laughs> from from the seventies, I could see them being like, "Oh, we'll just we have this asbestos face. We cover you in your exactly. face won't move." This makes my fingers numb when it touches them. <laughs> uh, it itches a little bit. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> my lips don't work. That's cool. And there was there was actually a funny. Uh, uh, exchange that I read about that Joseph Cotton was kind of griping about. He had so many lines to deliver, but Vincent Price got to dub a lot of his because of his his facial restrictions. But right. Price responded that he still knew them because he was kind of well known in Hollywood for memorizing all of the script for all of the characters. So I thought that was pretty cool. That's amazing. Price never yeah. ceases to amaze me and just like. The more I read on the guy over the years and the more mm-hmm. I learned about his history, his talent, that's kind of the other reason I wanted to do this. I mean, the guy's an icon for mm-hmm. horror, and that's why we, we just said, hey, for sure, there's a no-brainer. Let's pick two Vincent Price films and do them. But you really look at the depth and breadth of his work. This one was kind of a, let's be honest, compared to some of the other things he's been in, this is kind of an off movie. Um, and I like it for the fact that it's not something, I mean, I hadn't seen this since I was a kid. Had either of you seen this before this viewing? Never heard of it. I would have never watched this. Like if it came on, I would have just stopped it probably. Like I, <laughs> I wasn't had- a I wasn't a big old movie person. And maybe I would have watched it you know, like on Elvira or something like that, but Right. Um, like or Mystery gotta- Science Theater. Like I could see them tearing this movie apart because Oh, we've gotta see if there's a riff and then watch it together. Probably to that. isn't because when they started doing riff tracks, they started doing more popular movies because they found a way around the copyright issue. But I think that um like, there's one of the things about old movies, and like we were saying, this is continuation of that earlier discussion about um, tropes versus the actual namesake of a thing in a movie. Like, you know, mm-hmm. there's there's a much faster like progression now of a thing becoming super publicly conscious versus back then, and so you know, it only took two years me- for the Matrix things to get old. Oh, to us. I see what you mean. Whereas back mm-hmm. then. You know, we're in the earlier stages of film. Like, film is only about maybe 50, 40 years old at this point, if that. And you're looking at these movies kind of clambering along, picking up different things and dropping what doesn't work. And this movie, it's hard to watch a movie that's probably before the 80s, really, for me, unless it's really on its shit. Because really? the movies are so bare bones, like they're missing so many of the parts of a movie, and some things that doesn't happen, like well, Casablanca. Think, think, like, what I are you talking about? Just, Give me a couple of examples. I think I get it. Go ahead, Justin. I, th- I think uh, I get where you're going with that. Casablanca though. actually doesn't have that problem. Like, something about that movie it just makes it work as what it is. But there, are, like, there are older movies, and Wizard of Oz actually works to the way it is. 
But there are movies from that era that they just are missing film history to make them flow in a narrative sense that we're used to. It's not necessarily oh, there's anything wrong with them. It's just like you were saying about watching X-Files that the show didn't mm-hmm. ring true anymore right. to you because the show was written like it was still the 90s. I got well, you. if someone you. were to take this movie and remake it right now with special effects that worked better and everything yeah. else, it would still not work if they just kept it the same, which is what I yeah, think Yeah, they'd have to change about. the plot. And it, right. Yeah, people don't get that about remakes. You can't remake a remake straight unless it was really, really on point because otherwise it won't stand up because it won't well, be right anymore. Or unless... I feel like I, I kind of enjoy sort of, I call them experiments, um, like Psycho. They literally remade the same movie. I think things like that are fun, but I, I, I agree with your point that if a lot of times if you're going to adapt some, or if you're going to remake something, you've got to adapt it for a sensibility um, for today. And I feel like something else that is a good example of that, it's not a remake, but Stranger Things it sort of takes a lot of the yes. movies from the 80s, like Goonies and E.T. And oh, you mean the first Stephen King movie to work? Stranger Things. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that too. It takes a lot of Stephen King movies from the 80s, and it takes a lot well, of these 80s movies I mean, that don't really wear as guys, well through time. And, and you could gives... even say that about It. Yeah. Well, the original. It, I think it works well as a book, but it, it has some serious problems like the uh, child orgy that happens near the end. <laughs> but yeah. like, I feel like that's one of those things that back then to write that was okay because not okay, but it was just it was not <laughs> books weren't in the public consciousness the way they are now. Like you know, no one's going to see a book and it won't spread everywhere. Like people won't discuss it the way they discussed it you know, discuss them now. And so, but I think that's accessibility to a platform to be able to do it too. I mean, yeah. I think to, to Levi's point, when you talk about how things can come through and how things can convert and be relatable, I think part of what feeds that is the fact that right now, the tools we have to be able to discuss it and people to get nuanced points, instead of just taking Leonard Moulton or mm-hmm. uh, Siskel and Ebert at their word of everything they come out because they're the experts of these things or something that people trust. Everyone can have that nuanced opinion to form this amalgam of everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at what they used to do in the 80s and the early 90s <clears throat> for films versus what Rotten Tomatoes does today. Yeah. You know, in a sense of aggregating. I mean, I, I think that they, they made the choice to leave that part out of both movies because they saw that it was an issue of like sexism, of like child labor laws, of just a lot of this. It was a minefield. They couldn't have gone around and done that. Even in oh, if we're days. talking about keeping that scene in for it, yeah, fuck that. That was. I, mean, I don't think that served to do anything for the for the for the original book. Be if I'm being honest. Right. And I think that like what's funny about this movie is that as old as it is, there's nothing like that in this movie. The movie's not really offensive. It's not really sexist. It there's no racist parts in it. You, you go back to a movie in the '70s or even '80s. Sometimes someone you know mm-hmm. drops the word nigger somewhere, and you're like, whoa, whoa, like everything just grinds <laughs> to a halt. You're like, oh, oh, hold on, can't say that. And like it always shocks you and like makes you kind of like because your sensibilities are not made for that. And it's funny that that's not the problem with this movie. It's not offensive in like a yellow face and, you know, Breakfast at Tiffany's way. It's just Mm -hmm. that it's so old that the parts of a movie we're used to seeing are not there anymore. Right. And that makes sense. And it's It's another it's another film language that's much more rudimentary. So it's like reading in old English. We can't do that. 
it's oh, that's a bad w- that's a bad never mind uh, no, i would say no, it's more like reading beowulf it's more like reading yeah. beowulf yes that's a good point. like you yeah, can yeah. read beowulf beowulf in, is very rudimentary yeah you can read beowulf and translate english but they don't explain anything oh beowulf comes in and he picks up 12 <laughs> men and moves them out of the way you're like what the fuck like at once or just separately moving the men like and, and Speaking of adapting things, Eaters of the Dead, that's a great uh, adaptation. Eaters of the oh, Dead. Oh, 13th, or is it 13th? 13th Warrior. Warrior. Yeah, that was, a, that was a great movie. It was a good it movie. Yeah. fucking good. Um, excellent book. Just so we, just so we can sit multiple there and times. gush on that. Like, I was yeah, going to say that, like, that. We, we really need to, like, uh, to look at that side of these movies when we get back old like this, is that not mm-hmm. just that they're, good point. That they're adapted uh, from books or something. This this could have well, is this a play or a book or something? I feel like it is. I think this is an original material. Okay, I, I, well, if I'm not mistaken, it is. But to the point, something I want to add on to your point there, Justin. It, it's not necessarily a counterpoint, but it's more like I'd like to go down this road. When you when you look at movies that are made like this in the 70s, I think the 70s in and of itself is a capsule for films because I've mm-hmm. li- I watched a lot of 60s uh, 60s and 50s films that I still felt were complete quote-unquote films they're not in sanskrit as it were the way 70s films are i think this was genuinely a subject of its times early 70s horror or genre films were just fucking weird well it's the problem of the 70s it's why dr strange exists it's why the people are on (laughs) drugs it's the (laughs) disco thing like i'm not saying disco is bad i'm not the kind of person that's just trash the music style but it was weird as fuck and when you look at it through the lens of now the 70s birthed a just ton of stuff that you go, what? Because they <laughs> had the best Nightwing LSD. Costume. That one Nightwing costume with the giant uh, lapels. Yes, that was so... I'm telling you, <laughs> it was the LSD. Like people, The 70s birthed that stuff because people were on the right drugs to get there. And like once people stopped doing those drugs and the 80s happened, like disco went away and movies got normal again and you know normal. like music became normal again <laughs> well normal ish there was still like flock of seagulls and shit like that happening but you know there there was more or less music was like identifiable as having a roots in a genre before where disco just kind of doesn't seem like it seems like it's part jazz part rock part this and i think that um you know you get you you get a movie like this when you have something that uh, it was probably a pet project. It was probably the clerks to, of these people who made it. These people wrote this script. They probably financed this script. Uh, it's Metro-Goldwyn Productions, I think I, sa- I saw. Which, you know, if you know anything about film history, Metro-Goldwyn is one of the oldest film houses. Uh, like. American International produced it. Yeah, I, I, I want to say I saw a Metro-Goldwyn logo somewhere. Wow. So. I think this movie might have been a pet project, and the sequel probably was too. Yeah, we're not even going to go into the sequel. Is it bad? Um, it's pretty bad. <laughs> like, it's I honestly bad. felt like it would be better because I felt like they would probably have more of a story to go through. It takes a turn on its head. Um, I will leave it to the audience to go check it out. Does and it get guys, magical? Want to. Um, kinda. <laughs> I may have to check it out. I, I honestly I, wish this had been some kind of supernatural, like I said, some kind of like fucking dark ritual shit he was doing, like bringing a demon back to raise his wife, some Faustian, you know, bargain type shit. See, this is all good for uh, Doctor Fipes coming twenty twenty two. We're getting the uh, we're getting the uh, Doctor Five the, Reloaded. <laughs> 
Oh my god. Well, I, you know, we're, we're getting clo pretty close to the hour mark. We hadn't quite hit it there, but this again, let's just go round table here. Uh, Justin, last thoughts on the film. Um, I'll say that I'm sad that we didn't get to find a uh, Star Trek connection in this movie, first of all. Um, um, we may have to... I, I somebody catches one, I, let us know. I, I looked through mm -hmm. the cast list as we were sitting here. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't particularly big on the movie. I didn't super enjoy it. It was watchable. It wasn't like Small Soldiers again, which was just garbage, <laughs> or Gremlins <laughs> too. But um, I, I definitely see, like, like Gil said earlier, I definitely see the bones of Seven in there. I see the bones of you know other sort of like Saw and Hostile type movies where there's different murders, you know, that happen through different means like you know almost like a final destination style thing which this movie almost is because the the deaths mm -hmm. are are very orchestrated in that sense and i see that and i can respect something doing a thing the same way i can respect you know a fucking early mario game for being a, a game but i'm not going to go back and play <laughs> mario one and it's it's <laughs> It, it definitely feels like there, there was a, a lot of work put into it. It looks good for, for the age it is, especially the prosthetic uh, skull face at the end that he has. Like, but, yeah. you know, let's be honest. Like, if they wanted to go for any realm of realism, that burn level is too hard to function. Like, he'd have just been dead at that point. But, no, I wasn't big on the movie. It was all right. Would I suggest someone watch it if they're into technical film shit, directing you know, seeing film history type stuff where things come from and just tracking that. Maybe if you're just wanting to see like a movie that's going to scare you, absolutely not. <laughs> like it's not going to scare you. <laughs> uh, no, that's, that's pretty on point. What about you, Levi? Um, I enjoyed the movie. I definitely am. I'm kind of like Justin in that it's, it's not like I was like, Oh yeah, this movie is, is awesome. I'm going to watch it a hundred times, but I liked the, sensibility of it and the I, I think you pointed out earlier that it has a lot of tension that it builds and I appreciated it for that and being that sort of a horror movie because I like those sorts of horror movies that just sort of build tension and uneasiness and I felt like it did that and I guess it did kind of undercut itself a little bit with the humor but I enjoyed the humor so I, I think what this did was sort of open up my mind to 1970s horror and especially like British horror. Was this a British film or was this American yep. film? Okay, nope, okay. This is a British film. I want to see more films like this, um, like these 1970s weird horror movies. So I'm definitely going to seek them out after watching this movie. So that's what I'll say about this movie. It sort of opened up this area of film that I haven't really been aware of. I, I knew it sort of existed, but I definitely want to go into it further and see what's in that weird 70s world of horror. Oh, man, I'm so excited about that because I, I really want us to watch a Hammer drac or a hammer yeah. a horror film of the 70s. I've never seen to a watch horror. Yeah. A oh Hammer horror God. film, unfortunately. What? Dracula AD 1972, we have to do. <laughs> that would be amazing. Oh, my God, you guys would love that. Um, so what about you, Gil? What do you think? For, for me, I, I, I did enjoy the film. Uh, I would not say that it's on my like top list of Vincent Price films or my top list of horror films, but I am very glad that I got the opportunity to go back and watch it and talk about it because it is a discussed 
film online and mm-hmm. it has come up in conversations and people reference it but i never could quite remember what it is now having seen it again since i was a kid I, i'm i'm in i i really liked how it was shot i liked the um aesthetic i liked the story they tried to set up um i could have done without the comedy but i get what they were trying to do um and just as justin said i see the 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 structure of these other films in it and i'm glad that it has its place in horror history um mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm thoroughly excited that we got to got to watch this one together, guys. So I think with that, we're going to put the nail in the coffin. Levi, where can they catch us on the web? Well, on the web, they can catch us on Twitter and Instagram at Bone Vault. They can also catch us from the bonevault.podbean.com. That's where you can find the podcast you're listening to. <laughs> um, and you can also email us from the bonevault at gmail.com and look for us on Facebook as well. Excellent. And you guys will be seeing some new things come out very, very soon from From the Bone Vault as part of Pumpkin Bomb Productions, a new parent uh, uh, company that we're part of. Cool new stuff. We're going to try to get more guests in, things like that. Uh, We are going to, uh, next week, come in with another Vincent Price. We're going to do a double feature, so look out for that. Another Vincent Price film coming. At the bottom of the show, Justin, anything you want to plug? At CTK86 on Twitter, at Justin on Instagram. And I'm actually working on a podcast with my friend Laura called Last Chance Theater. Uh, that's the title, at least right now. And we're hoping to start putting those out probably before December. I'll let people know through this podcast if we get anything up. Awesome. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it, man. Levi, anything you want to plug? Sure. I've got my movie review videos on YouTube, Garage Movie Reviews. Just search for that on YouTube, or you can go to Twitter or Instagram or Facebook at Garage Movie Guy. Hit me up there if you have any movies you want me to review. I give a little short movie reviews, a little bit of history of the movies, and I just today, as we're recording, released Ernest Scared Stupid for one of my Halloween movies. So go, go check it to out. his site so that you may enjoy all of his Ernest P. Worrell material. Very that's my good. that's the worst <laughs> Ernest impression anyone's ever done. Uh, one other thing, guys, this may be this is probably coming out after the event, but uh, we're all very excited. Uh, this week, Midnight Layer will actually be doing its premiere of Episode Zero at uh, the Marquee Regal Theater uh, near IKEA here in good old Houston. Uh, and we're going to be very excited about being there, talking about the show, presenting our episode zero, uh, shaking hands, and there's going to be some really cool guests there. So I'm hoping you got the opportunity to join us. As always, guys, we appreciate you uh, being here with us every uh, time we release an episode. Uh, For lack of a better uh, terminology, like, favorite, and subscribe like you would on YouTube. Uh, (laughs) Just keep your eyes peeled uh, for new and great things coming from us. And review. Um, Review on on iTunes and Podbean. Yes, Yes, yes. And like I said, if you give us a five-star review, whatever you say in there, we will make Justin say. So, <laughs> or we'll make we'll make uh, we'll make uh, Gil say it in his horrible Ernest impression. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> his Bane voice. His Bane voice. <laughs> well, with that, I'm Gil, and I'm Levi, and I'm Justin. <laughs> Stay scary. Good night, everybody. It appears to have been fired by a catapult, sir. <laughs> That was ridiculous. (laughs) That was the best.